We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. First John chapter 5, uh, we have uh, this amazing study as we continue our journey through this letter that when taken to heart makes us better Christians there's no doubt about it and we read in verse 1 it says whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also love him who is begotten of him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you read the Bible, I'm reminded of uh, two individuals that are set side by side, primarily as a contrast. Back in the book of Genesis an individual by the name of Abraham and his nephew, Lot. Now, when you study the Bible, you find that both of them were saved. Abraham knew the Lord. As a matter of fact, he was called a friend of God. But his nephew, Lot, did not know the Lord. He knew the Lord, but he lived a life of carnality. And what ended up happening is he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he began to live just like the rest of the world. So when you study the Bible, you see that in the end, they both went to heaven. The Bible says Lot was righteous. They both went to heaven. But only Abraham experienced victory. The victory that God desires for his children to have. Lot did not experience that victory. You've probably heard that saying, a saved soul and a wasted life. And so maybe you're here today and maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you do know the Lord and praise God, man. You're a blood-bought, bona fide believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you die, you're excited because you're going to go to heaven. But question is, what's going to happen between now and then? How many Christians really experience the victory to change the world like Abraham did? How many Christians really experience the victory of even changing their own life? You know, my prayer is as we go through today that we will see that this is what God wants to do, man. He wants to give us that victory, like he says right here, to overcome the world. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, you find Jesus' words to the seven churches. And as he speaks to every single church, he challenges them to overcome. Overcome, church. And if you overcome, church, then I will give you a reward in heaven. You know, I, I, I'm going to share something with you guys. And, and we can just kind of kind of talk about these things every once in a while. Um, when you look at the way that things work within the citizenship of mankind, you find that, generally speaking, victories are not wrought by single individuals. For example... Uh, the Lakers. I'll use them as an example. Uh, they were pretty excited when they got Superman, right? They were pretty excited when they got Dwight Howard 
And uh, and they just thought for sure this is victory, right? They've got Steve Nash. They've got Kobe Bryant. But one of the things they, they, they didn't realize is that it takes more than just one man. It takes chemistry. It takes teamwork. There's a lot of things that are factors involved in living and victory in the world of men. That's the way it is in the world of men. But in the world of God, in the kingdom of God, it is about one man. It is about having one man on your team. He's not just Superman. He's the God man. He's Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus in your life? Is he the Lord and Savior of your life? Is he the love of your life? I'm telling you this, that not only gets you saved positionally, but it saves you practically. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see that that that's where God's going to point us. My prayer, you guys, for everyone here, I believe that all things are possible with God and that every single person here would know the Lord Jesus Christ. When you die, you go to heaven, that you're not playing games, that you're not just here at church to check off the box to what you do on Sunday mornings. It's not just a habit, but it is a heart. It is a passion for seeking the power of God and the glory of God in your life. And you come and you're broken and you're hurting. doesn't matter, man. You come and you watch what God can do. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We're going to see that God wants us to behave, but there's no way we're going to be able to behave unless we believe. And you've got to believe the right things. You've got to believe, number one, that Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ is found ten times in this little letter. And it's such an important issue for us, believing that Jesus is the Christ, that John said in chapter 2, verse 22, Who is a liar? Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. They're a liar. See, that's an important issue. Jesus is the Christ and we need to believe that. A lot of people don't realize what that means. They think Jesus is Jesus Christ is kind of like Manny Coronia, you know, it's his it's his last name, you know, but but it's not. Jesus Christ, Christ is a title. It comes to us from the Greek word Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew Messiah. It's the Messiah. It literally means the anointed one. You gotta believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the appointed one. The appointed priest and king and prophet as the Jews were anticipating to come as their savior to rescue us, to save us from our sins, from the clutches of the devil and from the influences of this world. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Christ, about the Messiah, the savior king who would one day come. You read about it in the very beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 6,000 years ago, the Bible prophesied that Jesus Christ would come, born of a virgin, you know, crushing the head of Satan. Yes, bruising his heel by dying on the cross. But in the very beginning, the, the Bible began to give us the anticipation of the coming of the Christ And then about 2,000 years ago in the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And how could all the families of the earth be blessed 
through Abraham? The answer is, is because it was through Abraham that Jesus would come. The Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming King. And just, man, the Jews began to anticipate great expectation, great anticipation that the Messiah would come. Later, a prophecy was given through Abraham, his great-grandson Judah in Genesis 49 through 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh comes with the scepter. Shiloh literally means that it belongs to him. It means he brings tranquility. See, and as you go through the scriptures, you begin to read literally the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that somebody was coming, that the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed prophet, priest, and king was coming to rescue the world, to save the world. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I'll require it of him. And so the prophecies, and so the Jews knew a prophet's coming like Moses. They knew a savior was coming, a Shiloh was coming, a king was coming. They knew these things. John says Jesus is that prophet, that priest, that king, the coming one, the anointed one, the Messiah. And John says right here, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It's really important, you guys. If you would go over to Matthew chapter 16, a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. For some it might be new. But in Matthew chapter 16... We read in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, and that's the most important question of all. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's kind of interesting. The Lord would even ask, you know, hey, what's the what's the buzz, man? What's the rumor about me? What are people saying about me? Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't think it was because he was really interested in rumors. Because the Lord was never really like that. He didn't really care about his so-called reputation, about what people might say about him behind his back. He wasn't really, you know, big on, you know, the, the consensus of the population, but he was big on people. And I think the real reason was he wanted to now just kind of focus in on, on, on his guys. Yeah, okay, they're all saying that. Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. Okay, okay, cool. Here it is. But who do you say that I am? That's where he's getting at. And that's where God is getting at today. Who do you say Jesus is? Some say he's a random rabbi. Some say he's a typical teacher. Some say he's a passing prophet. Some say he's just like all the other guys who founded you know, various religions. But he's not. We're going to see that today. We need to believe something different about him. The Lord says to Peter you know, and the guys, well, who do you guys say that I am? And look what Peter says right here. He said, Lord, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's so cool. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it means that somehow there is a connection of communication between you and your Creator. And God told you, this one, Jesus, who has changed the world, is the same one who has saved the world. And you're a part of it. He is the Christ, the one that we were all waiting for, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. And as the anointed prophet, you need to listen to his sermons. As the anointed priest, you need to rely on his sacrifice. And as the anointed king, you need to live in submission to him, to his majesty. John says back in 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And John mentions being born of God frequently in the letter in chapter 2, verse 29, 3, verse 9, chapter 4, verse 7. Now we know that when we think of birth, I don't know about you guys, but don't you trip out when a baby's born, don't you? There might be some of you here who think it ain't no thing but a chicken wing, but I'll tell you what, man, when you see a baby born, it should just blow your minds. How God, and think about how it happens. Think about, you know, not to get, you know, like weird or anything, but we know that sex was created by God to be, you know, practiced within the confines of holy matrimony. And when it is, how beautiful it is. How God can take the love of a man expressed in such a beautiful way, the love of a man and a woman, and create life. And then that life is conceived in an instant. That life is there. And then, you know, right around nine months later, depending on what kind of kid you have, you know, it's like, boom, the child's born. And it's just a miracle. Well, the same is true now, spiritually speaking. How God can take the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and conceive a child of God. And when that child of God is born, what a, a miracle it is. When someone is born of God. I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about how some people, they come and go every week and they, they never change. They never grow. They don't hunger and thirst after God. I'm not talking about the individual who reads his Bible, but they're not really interested in it. I'm not talking about the individual who doesn't even want to come to church. They probably don't know the Lord. I'm talking about those on whom God has breathed life. And when you believe, not just in your head, not just intellectually, but you you believe genuinely and sincerely that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, then you're born of God. And it's an absolute miracle. We read that in the scriptures. Unfortunately, the phrase born again has lost its spiritual connotation in many circles over the years. People use it flippantly nowadays in describing some new beginning in life. It might even be after a divorce or maybe they got a new job. But being born again is not a new beginning in life. It's life itself. You know, before I was born again, I was dead in my sins. But when I really believed that Jesus is the Christ, I was given, granted, true 
new spiritual life. Before I was born again, you guys, I used to go to church all the time. I would, you know, I did all my sacraments in, in the Catholic Church. I read my whole Bible before I was born again. But then when God gave me life, I could really breathe. I could really see. I could really hear. I then began to walk. You see, it's something that needs to take place. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. Some of you here are not born again. You are born physically. And unless you're born again, you will die in your sins. See, if you're born once, only once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, then you'll only die once. You need to be born again. You need God to breathe life on you. Jesus said this in John chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Many of you here are born again. huh? Isn't it an awesome thing? Look what he says here in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. If you're born again, you're going to love him who begot. That's the, the father, right? And you're also going to love him who is begotten of him. Now, some say that refers to Jesus, but the context says otherwise. You see, this is in reference to the brethren. As one translation puts it, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. That's something that John emphasizes in the book. Huh? For those of you who have been studying it, you know he's been saying this over and over and over again. Don't tell me you love God if you don't love others. Don't tell me you're a Christian if you don't love others. And that's what he's saying. If you're born again, you love him who begot, and you love those whom he begot. You know how it is, and I know you guys can relate to this, right? For you have friends, and then they have kids. Don't you love their kids? I mean, you just do. You're like, oh, man, my friend, my compa, whoever it is, you know, we get together, and you've got your kids. I love your children. That's just the way it is. Well, that's not just the physical realm, that's the spiritual realm, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We as Christians, believer in Jesus as the Christ, Lord, Savior, Son of God, have been born again, and here we see that God is referring to us as being begotten of Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as Christians, we are begotten. And so we love the Father and we love those whom He begat. That means we love others, especially other believers. And so we read in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So how many of you here say, I love the children of God. I love others. I do. I'm just a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> yeah, you say you're a lover. Cool. But this is something I learned. And, you know, it's taking time. Uh, for So those of you who are older, 
You know what I'm talking about? To say you love somebody, it's just cheap words. You know, a, a guy tells a girl, I love you. A husband tells his wife, I love you. Do you love her? Do you really love her? Do you put her before yourself? Are you committed to her unconditionally, no matter how she treats you, sacrificially? Will you do everything in your power to seek her highest good? Do you even know what love is? It's just words sometimes. He says, by this we know, this is how we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. And again, we come back to loving the brethren, loving the Lord. We know that obedience to or love for God will always manifest itself in loving others. Here John says essentially the same thing, but he has a different twist on it. And that is that as part of a community, part of loving others is simply being obedient to God. And that will benefit, that will be a blessing to the entire community. You see, for example, my love for my children. I love my son Aaron and I love my daughter Ariel. I love them. Um, but that doesn't always mean that, you know, my love is expressed directly towards them. My love for them is oftentimes expressed in a life of obedience in other places. When I'm there and I'm on my computer and someone, you know, they may send you some pornographic email link or when you're there and, you know, I'm treating my wife a certain way and, you know, sometimes the kids make fun of us because, um, you know, my wife and I will go out on, on, on date nights. Well, maybe they don't make fun of us, but like, you're gonna, you guys are going out again? And... Uh, and I'm, yes, we'd, you know, your mom and I, we've got to spend time together. We have our date nights because we love you, you know. Because <laughs> you guys know how it is, right? I mean, what, the, sometimes the best thing for your kids is a mom and dad stay together, right? And that's how I love my kids, by loving God, by being obedient to Him. Sometimes you have churches where the leaders fall, the pastors fall into sexual sin. What does that do to the church? I mean, yeah, praise God, Jesus is the real pastor. And Jesus will continue to help a congregation carry on. But, you know, no man, the Bible says, no man lives unto himself. And so, as you guys, it's so cool, as you live a life of obedience, and it's not just leaders, by the way, it's everybody involved in this church. When Achan sinned, it infected and the whole congregation. You see, and we love the congregation and we love our family by loving God and the way we show our love for God is by being obedient to God. And that's why whenever I get tempted or whenever things happen or it doesn't matter on a Monday or a Tuesday or my day off or whatever it is, I'm constantly consumed with the fact that I have such a heavy responsibility. It's not just me. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's God's people. It's God's glory. And so he says, you know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments you see and in keeping God's commandments we show that we love the Lord 
It's not just singing the song. It's not just saying the words. I pray you guys would really know this, okay? And I got to reiterate this and articulate this repeatedly, that loving God is not necessarily a funny feeling you feel in your stomach, you guys. It's not just the goosebumps you get when you're singing the songs. I mean, we learned that, right? And for some of you younger people, you know, maybe you already know it, maybe you don't. You know, but remember when you first met her, you know, or you first met him and you're like, oh, I can't eat, you're not hungry. You remember you fell in love, remember? And I mean, it's like, the, it's like a, I don't know if it's a hypnotic, you know, I don't know how it works, man. Brain dead life, you know, it's just a weird thing, you know. You're on the phone like for an hour, you're in love and, and, and you think you're in love, but that's not, you guys got to know that that's not love. It's not. Love, according to the scriptures, is, is, is infinitely deeper than, you know, the fact that you can't eat lunch. Love is, love is an unconditional, sacrificial commitment. Seeking someone else's highest goods. By the way, that highest good is a spiritual good. You can never love somebody unless you want them to get saved and sanctified. Love is a much bigger word. And our love for God, you know, and that's why even sometimes, you know, I remember when the Lord was talking to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Remember John chapter 21? And Peter said, I don't I like you, Lord. I phileo you. I'm not there yet. He was just being honest. You know, I wonder sometimes, and that's why I always go back to Psalm 18. It says, I will love you, O Lord, my God, my strength. One day, I know I'm going to love you the way that I should. But the way love of God for God is manifested is in a life of obedience, right? And it's just so cool the way it works out. Because look what it says in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. Let there be no mistake about it. If we love God and live in his love, then we will keep his commandments. And most of us are familiar with John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John fourteen twenty one. he has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. You know, don't tell me you love God and you will not repent of your sexual sin. You do not love God. You got to repent. You know, God will help you. You got to come clean. Let's just say you're here today and you're addicted to crystal meth. You know, that's a, that's a heavy drug. God can set you free, but you've got to open up and you've got to say, you know what, I'm struggling with this because you want to change. I'm struggling with sexual sin because you want to change. God can work with somebody like that. But if you're here today and you're living in your sin and you don't want to change and you're not asking for any type of help, then just don't say that, that you love God. Because you don't. And so my encouragement to you, and I think that John in writing this, he's not just trying to you know, give revelation, well, these are the facts. I think he's also trying to change the acts of man. I think he's also trying to say, believe in Jesus as the Christ so that you can be born again. You know, have a heart to obey so that you can say, I love God. Don't you want to be able to say that? I love God. He's trying to not just give information, but he's 
trying to provide opportunities for transformation. I tell you what, if you're struggling and you've been living in that, I tell you what, today is the day where you can ask God to change your life. There's that unbreakable link between love for God and obedience to God, not just a feeling, not just an emotion, not just words or phrases or lines we sing. It's in all reality a life that we live. And this is really deeply embedded in the Bible. If you go way back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 6, God revealed himself as a God who shows mercy to thousands. To those who love me, he said, and keep my commands. Repeated again in Deuteronomy 5, verse 10, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Daniel understood, even later, that prophet Daniel understood the link of love and obedience as he prayed in Daniel 9, verse 4. O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant mercy with those who love him, those who keep his commandments. There's that unbreakable link between loving God and living a life of general, overall obedience, right? John writes later in Second John, verse 6, This is love. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is his commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Not only that, I like what he says. Don't you guys like what he says there in verse 3? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. And the Greek word, it means a couple of things. And it means, number one, they're not grievous. They don't like, you know, get you, I don't know, angry or, or disappointed or bitter. You mean to tell me that I got to wait until I get married before I have sex? And you're all, you know, bummed out about it. And God is just saying, yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Because I love you. And I realize this, God says, I've made you. And if you start sleeping around before you get married, do you realize what you do to yourself? Do you realize what you do to those individuals that you're with? That this this beautiful union of sex that I created to be practiced within the confines of marriage that is created to bond you together with the wife or the husband that you'll spend the rest of your life with to keep you as one. That if you violate that, you will destroy the bond that I gave you to bless your marriage. And then, you know, and then when you start thinking about it, you start thinking like, well, maybe God is pretty good after all. And God says, you know what? You don't need to get drunk. You don't need to get high. You don't need to go down and waste all your money in Las Vegas. Tell you what, all this is good for you. Do you realize what those drugs do to the brain that I created, that amazing brain that you have, the amazing body that you have? See, when you love God, you keep his commandments. And those commandments, they, they're never grievous. Not only that, the same Greek word can be translated difficult. And, and, and I think that that's where, you know, we might even have a problem with that one because we're like, Lord, you want me to love him? God's saying, yeah, him. The obnoxious one? <laughs> yeah, him. I love him. I know you guys are thinking of me. I know you guys are right now. <laughs> love me. I'm just asking, please. But God is just saying, it's not that hard. 
It's not that hard when I'm flowing through your life. I want to carry you. I want to empower you. You know, you get plugged into the Lord. It's an amazing thing what God can do when he gets a hold of your life. What ends up happening sometimes, though, is we get bitter against God because we don't understand his love, that all those laws are laws of love. What happens a lot of times is we get frustrated. You know, before I was a Christian, for 20, 22 years, I could never, I started, I mean, I was getting drunk with my dad when I was seven years old. The drugs could never stop. You name it. The profanities, it came out of my mouth. I mean, who can stop cussing? Right? I mean, maybe with some duct tape, you could probably do it on your own. But And then the, the moment I got saved, boom. I was just all gone. Everything, all the addictions, everything changed. When God comes in and you become a Christian, but then a lot of times as Christians, we still try to do, I could do this on my own. God, you know what? Just kick it. Take a day off. And God's saying, you can't do nothing on your own. Right? When we do things with God's strength, it's not difficult. Have you guys noticed that? How many of you can say amen? Amen. You guys can say amen that when you try to do it on your own strength, you fall. You can always tell when you're trying to do it on your own strength, you fall. (laughs) But when you do it with God's strength, it's an amazing thing. God does a work and God empowers you. One other thing about this right here. When his commandments are not burdensome, there, there, there needs to be a clarification in your heart that the commandments that you're trying to obey are his commandments. They are things that are clearly articulated in his word and not the burdens oftentimes that other maybe well-meaning men or women try to impose upon you. They say, how dare you watch that Leave it to Beaver? And I'm like, but I like it, you know? And then, I don't know, I don't know, but a lot of times what ends up happening is their personal convictions, and especially, and i got to share this with you guys as a teacher, you teachers, you better be careful that you do not place heavy burdens of your own personal convictions upon God's people. Because if your personal convictions and the way that you take the principles and precepts of God's word are not according to his standards and you start putting your personal convictions on people, and then what you're doing is you're weighing them down with burdens like the Pharisees did. In Jesus' day, in the book of Matthew 23, verse 4, he said, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. What they had done is they'd taken the Ten Commandments. Oh, we want to obey the Ten Commandments. So they made 612 more commandments and how to obey the Ten Commandments. You better be careful. We better be careful. You will feel crushed if you try to take all the personal convictions of all your friends and of all the people that unfortunately are well-intentioned, but they're not really just giving the word. And what ends up happening is you, you have that burden. That's why Jesus said, go back to Matthew 11,
Look at verse 25 at that time, Matthew 11:25. Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you revealed them to babes or, or babies. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good to you in your sight. All things that have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And what Jesus is saying is that these religious guys, the Pharisees, they weren't getting it. They weren't receiving the revelation, the wise. It was just the the babies. It was just the simple ones. Right, because they were all caught up according to Mark chapter 7 in their rules and regulations and they had elevated the traditions of men over the truth of God's word. That's what happens when you become religious. And it's not just a relationship. It's not just a, a love relationship between you and God and you've got the clarity of his word. And so what does the Lord say? His heart goes out to all the people. And you know, um, that's where, again, we leaders, we have to be so careful you know, I'm reminded of how Jesus saw the multitudes. They were weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. But they were going to church. They were going to the temple. They were going to the synagogue. But they were sheep having no shepherd. And so what did he do? He sat down and just taught them. He just taught them the word. And here he tells them, kind of in a sense, you know, get away. And and, and he, what did he say? Come to me. Verse 28. Come to me. It's a person, Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, these people were bouncing off the walls. These people were walking in circles. These people were struggling to try to please God, to, to, to try to appease God with their own good works. He just said, you know what? Come to me, I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Isn't that beautiful who God is? And you will find rest, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the Lord is just saying, you know, uh, I love you. I love you. And yeah, you need to work on these areas in your life. But it's my love that will change you. And you just, I, I just trip out on this. He says, when we do things, just you and me. I, I don't know if you guys ever, you know, I don't know if you believe verse 30 or not. But if I was you, I would believe it. <laughs> he says, for my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. See, being a Christian, it shouldn't be all sophisticated and complicated. And it's, you know, where it's like, man, I just, oh, I can't do it. No, it's a lot more freeing than that. As a matter of fact, there's a really cool passage in Psalm 119, verse 45. It says, and I will walk at liberty. And I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. What a freedom it is just to do things according to God's word. And so back in 1 John, we finish it off in verse 4. It says, For whatever is 
born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I mean, and then you almost want to say our faithfulness. And yeah, faithfulness oftentimes is rooted in faith, but that's not what he says. He just says our faith. Earlier today, I prayed with a gal. She never goes to church. She says, well, maybe once a year, but ever since seven years ago, her sister died. Never go to church. She just struggling, doesn't know the Lord. Just a real simple conversation. I said, I tell you what, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ right here, right now, you'll be saved, free, forgiven. Know for sure when you die, you'll go to heaven. You just got to mean it from your heart. Trust in him, faith. And and she did, and boom, it's just so cool. That simple faith, is it overcomes the world, you guys. The world. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes in who? That Jesus, there he is again. Jesus is the son of God. You see, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the appointed one. In one sense, there's his humanity, but we also believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son, and we believe also in his deity. When we place our faith, main thing, in Jesus, then God gives us the victory that we need, even against the whole wide world. Because I'll tell you what, that's the, that's the thing. Uh, going back to Lot, there's a lot of people like Lot, right? In church, that's why his name is Lot. Did you guys know that? Because there's a lot of lots in the church. And what ends up happening is uh, is they just, unfortunately, they don't do things God's way. And uh, and in the end, they they don't experience the victory. Maybe they're saved. And that's, that's, that's cool. But how many of you here, as believers, you just want so much more? Wouldn't you say? I think so many of us do. First John tells us a lot about loving the Lord and just loving others. And I'm going to close with a, a, a story I heard this week. Beautiful story about a pastor who, uh, who kind of had, I guess you could say, a, a revelation, uh, something that, that we know is true, but a lot of times we don't connect the dots because we're living in some crazy times where... I think people are not doing things because they think that they really can't make a difference. Uh, maybe that's a doubt. I don't know. But um, sometimes people get frustrated because they feel, well, I can't really fix the problem. I can't really you know, change that thing going on in the world or that issue, whatever it is. And so because I can't help everybody, I won't help anybody. But imagine if everybody helped somebody. Wouldn't that be cool? Life would be different. And so this is a story of someone helping someone. It was just one person. And the pastor said she came in one day and she was a drug addict, addicted to drugs. And uh, it's kind of funny because after the whole story was done, uh, she told him something that would help him. She said, you want to know when a drug addict is lying? She said, whenever their lips are moving, <laughs> they're lying. <laughs> and that's the way it was for, for literally years. You know, they're just like 
going in and out and, you know, helping them out financially, giving them time, going deep in the relationship, taking them to the hospital, taking them to rehabs, trying to get them in different homes. This was a whole, it was a life. And they just said, you know what? It doesn't look like we're winning, but we're not going to give up on this life. We will love them. We will love them. I can't help everybody, but I can't help somebody. And so they just kept loving her as a church. It cost money. And a lot of times I think what ends up happening is, you know, we, we don't because we don't see the fruit right away. And, uh, but they just kept loving, 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 until finally one day, boom, you know, she finally got saved. And this lady was, you know, set free and all of her addictions were gone and next thing you know man god roots her and grounds her and she starts a little fellowship helping other ladies who have been physically abused and addicted to drugs sold their own bodies i mean she was there helping them and and so one day they go to the 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 meeting and and you know the pastor and his wife they just sit there jaws dropped wow look at what god has done and afterwards they got in their car and they just began to weep. Look at what God has done. A few years later, they get a phone call from her brother. And he says, uh, you know, she passed away recently. And she didn't have a lot of money, but what she did have, she wanted to give to you. After the expenses were done with the funeral, they, they sent a check. The pastor opens it up. $6,000. And he says, you know, I've never, re- I've received bigger checks, but, but never really a, a bigger check, if you know what I mean. And I guess what I'm trying to say, you guys, is that, you know, that her victory was rooted in his victory. And his victory was rooted in faith in Jesus Christ that he could change a life. And we come back to First John and you say you love God. Okay, then you obey God. And the way you obey God, I think we've seen it over and over again is by how? Is by loving people. And so we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. And so my challenge is to you is to get on your knees and you ask God, who we help? For some of you here this whole next year, you know who you need to help? Your spouse. You need to help your spouse. You need to pour into your spouse, your kids. And then God will add people. Maybe you're beyond that by now. I don't know. But I just really pray that we would be used by God to bring him glory, to change the world one life at a time. So, Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord power of your word the truths that we study today they they take people to heaven oh lord i just pray that we would believe that jesus is the christ that we believe jesus is the son of god and then we would go out and behave the way we believe and that you would give us the strength to know what your commandments are knowing that they're not burdensome I thank you for every life here, Father. I pray you would continue to encourage them and strengthen them. And Father, if there are any here today who don't know you, 
Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Only you can save a soul. Not a single other person can ever save a single soul. Only you can. And glory to you, God. But I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to be saved, who needs to give their life to Christ, then right here, right now, you would do that work. And just with every eye closed and every head bowed, and you guys, if you could just pray, just in case today is the day of salvation for anyone here. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ, you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You want to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Right where you're at, if you would, just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you today. Anyone here? Man, you just want to know for sure. I don't know, man. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I want to know, like the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone here, man, just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord, for that hand that went up. Anyone else? It's a battle between, you know, the the Lord and then the devil, man. It's a struggle for your soul. And God can't choose for you. You're, you're the only one who can make that choice. And you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. Because you might be saying, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Especially if your heart is beating. Especially if you're not sure. You want to make sure. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.